Well, good morning. Good morning. Magandang umaga sa inyo lahat. Wow, it's just a, it's a joy, it's a privilege, and uh, and um, thoroughly encourage us in all your kindness. It's there's so much, so much to share, so much to reflect on. I mean, when I think of Grace Fellowship Church, I mean, a, a big part of who I am. A big part of my story is uh, the stories that you have graciously have shared over the years that I've been part of you. And so this is like a homecoming for me because I, 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 I always imagine whenever I came here on Sundays, it was, it was like a home. And you all shared your stories to me very openly. I, I love one definition of story. Stories are, are the, in, the inward acts of hospitality. Stories are the inward acts of hospitality, and I think in the years that I spent here, you all were very gracious in not just meeting me at the front porch, but you opened the door, you showed me through the living room, we actually ate together and, and had food, which that's kind of typical in the Filipino life. We always have food whenever we fellowship, don't we? Uh, from potlucks to hospital visitations to home visitations to even baptisms where I tried to do it once and failed the first time but did it again with Nanai Lulu and, and Auntie Emily. And also just the, the many times where uh, we've cried together, we've laughed together, we've sung together. I mean, mission trips in 2005. I mean, the list is endless when I began to just, just focus in and all the, the wonderful things that God has given me through you all. And so I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm very blessed to be here to bring God's word. And if you have your, your Bibles with you, turn with me to the, the book of Psalms. Psalm 121. You know, I was praying what would the Lord lead me to, to share to you all because, I mean, the, the scriptures are so, um, rich. I mean, you can go anywhere and we, we will all be blessed wherever we would find ourselves. But, I started to think in all that God has done and bless uh, Grace Fellowship, um, my prayer, and this is kind of the aim of my message, is that you as individuals would know that the Lord keeps you, that the Lord watches over you, that He is indeed your protector, and He's vigilant at that. If there's anything that I pray for every single person, from, from those who are familiar faces to old relationships to even new ones, one of the things that I pray for is that you would take to heart the law that the Lord keeps watches over your life and would, will continue to watch over Grace Fellowship this day and forevermore till we see Jesus face to face. That's that's my prayer. That's what's gripping me. That's what's causing me to even preach this message is that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, even at this moment, because this very moment is all that we have, is that we would know that God keeps us. And so, in honor of God's holy word, let's stand as we read together Psalm 121. Psalm 121, a very familiar uh, psalm to us, but I pray that as you hear God's word proclaimed this morning, it would come and land upon you fresh. So Psalm 121, starting with verse 1. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. 
Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you once again that, Lord, we have the opportunity this morning as your people to receive from your truth, from your promises. God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need you, O oh God, as I love your word over your people. Lord, there's so much to impact, God, from these eight verses. But, Father, I know that there is particular thoughts, particular truths and promises that, Lord, every single individual here needs. And so would you, by your grace, help to apply any particular truths to life circumstances and situations this morning? God, thank you that you are indeed the keeper of our souls. And so help us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. One of the wonderful things out from Psalm 121, it's position in the part of the Psalms where they call it the, the Song of Ascent or the Song of Degrees in some of your, your Bibles underneath the actual chapter, a Song of Ascents, which really what they call the, the pilgrimage Psalms. It's, it's Psalms and songs that, that uh, pilgrim groups would would sing would would uh, speak to one another as they would go up to Jerusalem and if you have ne- ever been to Jerusalem it's not your Kansas plain flatlands it's more your rugged uphill uphill climb and so anytime people would make their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem it's really a site where they do lift up their eyes because it's a pilgrimage ascending to Jerusalem and so you can just again imagine what would go through the minds of, of families, of pilgrims, of, of travelers as they make their, their way up to Jerusalem? Because what was, what was real as they make their, made their pilgrimage is a lot of dangers. There's many, many dangers. There were robbers, there were marauders that would come up from nowhere. So there were true physical dangers that would, that would come. And furthermore, during this time, this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was peppered with, with popular pagan worship. So along on the top of these hills were pagan worships or cultic practices that were practiced on these hilltops. So not only there were physical dangers, but there were also spiritual danger, dangers. And so in verse 1, it's, it's, it's no surprise to see here, I lift up my eyes to the hills and the question comes, where does my help come from? So this is not just kind of some, some pretty song just to sing on their way up to Jerusalem. No, there were real dangers and there were real harm that could be done unto them. And so what could, you know, this phrase, where does my help come from, could elicit Fear or even anxiety as they even began their their pilgrimage. I mean, the the scene that comes to me, if you all have seen Lord of the Rings or you know The Hobbit, it's one of the things I love about these movies is it's it's a, is a story about a pilgrimage. It's a journey, 
And you can just imagine Frodo Baggins as he makes his way out the Shire on his way to you know, bring this ring where it needs to be brought. I mean, the dangers that are involved. So put yourself, again, in, in one of these pilgrims ascending up Jerusalem and the present dangers and even spiritual dangers that were involved. And again, the question, where, where does my help come from? Now, unlike the, the pagan worshippers who found their help from the sun goddess or the moon goddess, here the psalmist rejects any kind of, of nature worship. But we see here this acknowledgement in verse 2. He says, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth. I also want to highlight here, the psalmist is speaking this to himself. If you notice in verse 1 and 2, it's, it's, in the, it's in the first person. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from. So the first point that I want to drive home, you have your sheet there, is how, how do you talk to yourself? Now, that's kind of, that sounds strange. How do you talk to yourself? But we constantly do that. Here the psalmist is actually talking to himself. Where, where does my help come from? And he affirms in verse 2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The one who made heaven and earth. No one, you can jot this down, no one is more influential or compelling in your life than you are. Why? Because no one talks to you more than you do. Just think about that. No one is more influential, more compelling in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You and I, friends, are in this feedback loop of unending conversation with ourselves. There are many narratives that we try to convince ourselves and, and tell ourselves on a moment-by-moment, day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Just for example, Friday morning. The day has not yet begun. And all, already in my heart, I was convincing and telling myself that I cannot, I cannot complete what I'm going to do today. I had three patients to visit. I had a meeting close to where I live, and another meeting up in southern Indiana. I was just everywhere, which you're probably saying, James, that's probably poor time management. But the reality is, I was convincing myself, like, I'm just not going to make it through this day. And the emotions I was feeling was great anxiety, fearfulness, that I was not going to, I was going to let somebody down. I was going to disappoint somebody. I mean, that, that, was, that was the ongoing feedback loop that I was convincing myself. And not only did I feel like I was going to disappoint somebody, but I felt already guilt and shame. And the day hasn't begun yet. This is like, you know, making my way to the bathroom and all this conversation that I'm take, that's taking place in my head and my heart was already happening. And, and what do you do? Now, I know that's a mundane kind of like, you know, just run in the mill kind of situation. But if you're honest with yourself, you too have those conversations that go on. I know my wife also with four kids and five on the way, we're thinking, okay, five, four children, how, how would we handle with five kids, right? 
And so there are many conversations, and there are even much worse, such as even a couple or a young lady that we're counseling who has suicidal thoughts. Because the pressures of this life she just can't handle. I mean, she, this is her reasoning of, of suicidal thoughts. She's a Christian and professes as a Christian. It would be far b- better to be with Jesus than to live in this world. Like, she's taking, like, Philippians 1.21, for me to live as Christ and to die, die as gain, really literally, but in a really twisted way. I mean, that's what she has been talking. That's how she speaks to herself. And, again, that's an extreme. But you all have your ongoing conversation. You can probably even think right now what those unending conversations are. And maybe you have asked the question, where does my help come from? And can we be gripped this morning that our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth? Repeated through the psalm, friends, is just this acknowledgement that it's the Lord that is with us. If you notice the word Lord there, it's the word Yahweh, the faithful covenant-keeping God, or like what the Jesus Storybook Bible say Yahweh is. It's the never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreakable, always-forever love. Forever love of God. That's the, the posture, that's the... That's how God moves towards us. And that's, that is who the psalmist is acknowledging even as he speaks this psalm, verses 1 and 2. It's this never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, unbreaking, always forever love of God. This is the Lord that he acknowledges. But it's very specific. The one who made heaven and earth. The Lord that that can speak the heaven and the earth, the whole universe into existence, is more than capable and has the power to help us as fellow Christians and us this morning. Because He, the Lord owns the universe. When you look outside, which is just a taste of fall, because we've had such a hot summer, right? The Lord owns that. Both the heavens and the earth are His works. And the Lord shows his, his personal action and sovereignty over the work of his hands. And if the Lord engaged himself carefully and personally in such a work, then any of our problems that you and I face today, he, he's able to work out. I believe that with all my heart. And even for this young lady who's struggling with, with suicidal thoughts and even fantasies of cheating on her, on her husband, she shared her story even this past week where she made her, her, her way in with her husband down to Florida and she was surrounded with just a body of ocean. And for the first time, for a long time this summer, she felt safe because she was surrounded with such enormous uh, body of water, but also just being around just God's creation. He said, you know, for the first time, James, it felt like I could just release my problems and there was no problems even to think about. Because I knew I was safe in what God has created or who God has created me to be. But anytime she even thought about coming back to Louisville, it, it, you know, the fear, the anxiety, the guilt, the shame starts to rush in. But, so even creation itself has a way to pull us out from our fear and our anxiety. 
That's why when I when 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 counseling when, even with people who suffer with depression, the best thing sometimes to do is just take a walk on a Sunday day and at a park and just admire God's creation. God's creation is one of God's avenues of grace just to help us get away from sometimes the the problems that we're experiencing inwardly. And one of the things that even this lady pointed out is, James, the more I I find myself escaping to my suicidal thoughts and my fantasy of cheating, it feels that my world is shrinking and shrinking and it's a bad thing. But when I found myself on the, the shore or sitting in the beach and I saw just, just the enormity of God's creation, he said, I was small and yet it felt good. So it's ironic, it, you know, she felt small when she would enter her small world of her, her fears and anxieties and it's a bad thing, but yet when she opens her, uh, herself up in the enormity and beautifulness of God's creation, all of a sudden it seems her problem just goes away. And I think there's something about creation that communicates to us that God is bigger than our problems. And I think that's what verse 1 and 2 is, is talking about here, is that even though whatever anxiety, whatever fear this person is experiencing says, my God made heaven and earth and he can handle my issues. So how do you speak to yourself? Do you, do you talk to yourself like the psalmist talks to himself in verses 1 and 2? That's my prayer. My prayer this morning. Now, as well as hearing ourselves talk to ourselves, we also, the second point that I want to help us this morning is in verses 3 through 8. How do you listen to others? He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now, it's fascinating here, again, just as we read the word, how the psalmist changes from first person to second person, as if somebody right next to him is actually talking to him. Did you catch that? He will not let your foot be moved, fellow pilgrim or fellow traveler. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Which really fits the context because this is a pilgrimage psalm. So it's, it's very, very natural for people along as they, they would sing this together. So not only would they speak to themselves or sing to their soul's encouragement, but they also have others t- speaking in. That's why I love Sunday mornings. That's why one of the purposes that we come to church is to hear each other sing God's word. As what Colossians 3 verse 16 says, that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, admonishing one another, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. It was just good even as we were singing 10,000 reasons and great is thy faithfulness. I will lift up my eyes and all I have is Christ, is sometimes even just to stop singing and just to hear your voices. Not just to sing willy-nilly, but to take in what you're singing to me. Because I need to know that God is faithful in my life. I need to know that all I have is Christ. I need to know today that when I need help, I need to lift my eyes to God. I need to know that there are 10,000 reasons that I'm called to bless His name. So there are times I think that's appropriate sometimes to close our eyes and just to hear what's being spoken here on Sundays. So that our hearts would be encouraged. That's what's happening with the psalmist here in verses 3 and 4. He will not, 
Here, here's what a fellow pilgrim it could have, it could have be, uh, could be a father or a priest or a companion on journey, helping this fellow traveler who God is. He is a God that will not let your foot be moved. He will not. He will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So the Lord here, and the, the, the picture here is the Lord is your security, your stability. Every step we take is supported by God. So the psalmist's footing here is so secure that the Lord will not permit his footing to be shaken or slip into danger. And you can be sure that your Lord will not doze off one bit because we read this, he who watches over you will not slumber. He will not sleep. And the word slumber here captures more of the essence of that long, deep sleep. It's what we would experience during the night. But the word sleep here, it's interesting, more so captures the idea of a cat nap. It would be your siestas in the afternoon. And what it's saying here is the idea is that God does not slumber even in the smallest degree. He's vigilantly, unceasingly watching everything that you're doing. You will not catch him dozing off. God is on a constant watch. That's the picture that we have here in verses 3 and 4. He's in, he's in constant watch. You know, one of the most hilarious pictures that I, that I have when I was in seminary, which kind of reminded me because during the fall festival that we had in seminary this past Friday, I, I had to take my my oldest daughter to the bathroom inside the library. Well, the library is known to be the place where you study, but also it's the place where a lot of people I see sleep. So there's one guy I can remember. I mean, this guy tried so hard to, like, keep himself away. He had, I think, three coffee cups. He had his headphones going on. I mean, he even had books to prop up his head. But, I mean, it, it was just really crazy to see this guy really work hard to just read another page from this systematic theology book. And he, I mean, he just would wobble. I mean, it was, it was one of those places where I would just look and just, just, cause I mean, for five or ten minutes, this guy was just fighting. And I was like, here he goes. He's going through the motions, the head bobbing. And just finally just laid out on the, the, the library table. And you see that quite often if you go to Southern. Because a lot of people seem to take, um, uh, you know, put their tents out there because it's like their third home. But, um, so one of the things that just again reminds me is you will not find God dozing off or, or you know, uh, sluggish or lethargic, bobbing his head up and down, his eyes getting squinty because he's working hard just to keep his, himself a watch. No, he's actively watchful and attentive, attentive to your thoughts and your acts, a- actions. Even when, you, when you're asleep. One of the things that I've discovered is that sleep is a commodity. It's one of those things that even as you grow older, like you just need sleep. But even in sleep, I think, is, is a gift to us because even when we're not consciously aware and dangers could be all around us, I want you to know that even God covers us and watches over us. I believe sleep is such a great illustration of what it's like to belong to Christ. I think sleep is a great illustration of what a Christian is. Because each and every night that we fall asleep, we, we, we basically surrender our full weight on this bed, trusting that this structure would support us. But even more, what's supporting us and who's supporting us is our God, our Lord. That's why the, you know, 
David could say in Psalm 3, 5, I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. In peace I will both lay down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And he goes on in verse 5, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The Lord is your keeper, the one who watches over you. He's in, he pays careful attention to how you walk, for He is your security. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The right hand symbolizes power and strength. He is kind of that shade or that shadow that protects us from the blazing heat of the day. So not only do we see God being there to provide for us with help, but He's also the God who protects us, the God who that helps us. Verse 6, the sun shall not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. When the sun and moon are, can bring such physical inconvenience and even possibly harm. The word moon here is where we get the word, it's interesting, the word lunacy, lunatic, or moonstruck. It was once said that if you stared too long at the moon, it would affect one's mental status. So not only does God protect you from physical dangers and spiritual dangers, but God also protects you from mental temptations. And verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm or evil. He will watch over your life. Now when you read that, that verse there, you're probably asking, really? The Lord keeps us from all evil? He will watch over my life, or another way to, to interpret life is my soul. What well, does this mean that the Lord will keep the pilgrim from all evil? Does that mean I will have no problems and troubles? I mean, just look at the Middle East with the terrorists, the ISIS forces, or even just the, the, the evening news of terrible tragedies. Now, I think the, the way to interpret this is the key is in, in, in verse 7 8 is what comes after that. He will watch your life or watch your soul. I think what the Lord is getting at here is what the Lord promises here is is preservation from all the consequences of evil done by you and others in the world. So when when, when God says He he keeps us from all evil now, it's not in the sense that no evil or suffering will come upon you. But at the very turn of, of life... And there's so many turns of life, isn't there? He safeguards us from unimaginable, horrific consequences of our sins. And the sins done against us. The six, six billion neighbors on this planet. Even when we suffer, He is still mitigating the consequences of sin, both private and public. Because things could be worse, right? When you think of life today. Not only that, but that He's working and, and, and even through evil circumstances to produce in us this incomparable goodness. Because the greatest act, evil act in history, if I would remind you today, is what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Here was an innocent man, the Son of God, who was murdered, who was put on a Roman cross. And yet, God turned that time in history, that event in history... And made it for our good because all of us have been recipients of salvation who are in Jesus Christ. So the Lord is keeping us from all evil forever. Not in the sense that no evil will befall us in the future. But that future glory, listen to this, which is awaiting us to be revealed. Will come to us in eternal communion with God. And it will overshadow all the sufferings and anxieties and fears 
that we will go through in this life. So 10 million years from now, we will not yet be any closer to exhausting family, friends, the fullness, the fullness of the joy and goodness found in God and Him alone. And so what may appearingly be a bad event in our life or in this season of life is like a bad dream that we would have in infancy. But I want you to know this, this, this morning is that God keeps us from all evil now and forever. That's why we can read verse 8 along with verse 7. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That's why Jesus, when he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us us from evil, we know what that means. Because that prayer is being answered every day, every moment, in the lives of those who walk in Jesus Christ. And so friends, I I want you to know that the the Lord keeps your soul, keeps your life, Keeps who you are until you see him face to face. That's a fact. That's a truth. That's a promise that will come true. And it's convincing ourselves daily that when we go through fear, anxiety, shame and guilt and all the things that may come against us, God is keeping our soul towards that end. He will keep all evil from getting inside us because the aim of, of evil is to steer us away from God, is to pull us from going to God. And if there's anything that you know about yourself, we are needy creatures. That's what having a soul means, is that we are needy women, uh, men and women, boys and girls. And the interesting fact is, is that we have this infinite capacity to want and desire. I mean, just think about it. The soul always gets what it wants. But it necessarily doesn't get everything it wants. Because I think a lot of, and this is the mercy of God that keeps us, is that I think in all that we choose at times, it will move towards death. But my prayers is that whatever we choose, and I pray that as God is reminding us from this text, that we're choosing Him. And so, not only God, the Lord preserves us, provides for us and protects us. We have a God that's so close to us. One of the things that that boggles my mind when I read Psalm 121 is how close and near He is. How close and near He is to us. I mean, just just look how the, the imagery here. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Which is more of a picture that God is underneath you. He's supporting your your walking. Or in verse uh, verse, uh, 5, the Lord is your keep or your shade on your right hand. That's that's more of a picture that's right beside you. Not only is God underneath you, He's not going to let your foot be moved, but He's one who's your shade that's walking beside you. And if that's not good enough, look at verse 7. Here's another picture. He will keep your life. He will keep your soul, meaning that the Lord is in you. I guess the, 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 the first one that I forgot is that he's the one who made heaven and earth. Not only is God beneath you, beside you, in you, but he's also above you. Just spatially. If there's anything that even this, this great psalm is communicating to you is that he is close and he's so near. And he, want, he wants to keep you. 
Because usually when we go through suffering and we go through affliction, usually what enters in our mind that are truly lies is that I'm suffering, oh God, and you're off in a distance, which is so not true. That is a lie from the pit of hell. He's so close to you. That's why we need this song to remind us that he's ever close. I mean, one of the songs that we typically sing to our kids when usually Benjamin wakes up at midnight because he's scared once again, and that's been kind of his consistency, is is that I'm scared. And usually we'll pray together, And but usually Isaiah 41.10 is a song or a, a, a verse that we, we quote to him. And it says, Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you, which is in us. I will hold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's just this, tell Benjamin that the Lord is with you, son. Even when Daddy and Mommy are down, you know, downstairs and you're here upstairs and you're in, covered by the dark, I want you to know, son, that the Lord is with you. As I'm with you even right now at 12 o'clock and I'm just like wiping, you know, eye gunk, you know, uh, you know, around my eyes, that the Lord is with you. And I want to say to you all this morning that the Lord is with you and He keeps you. The Lord keeps you. So how do you talk to yourself? And how do you listen to others? That's my two points. And so how can we just apply this more practically in our hearts? I, I would pray that if, if there are no psalms that you have not memorized, because, you know, psalms are, you know, psalms, they're just psalms that you should memorize. Psalm 23, I think it was what, Psalm 91? Um, I mean, there's just many. I mean, Psalm 121 would be one of those psalms just to memorize, just get into your bones, and just to know that the Lord is your keeper. Another is just being aware of what, how, you, how you talk to yourself. Do you, do, you allow, do you listen more to yourself than talk to yourself? If you listen more to yourself, then that's probably a good indication that you're giving in more probably to the fear and anxiety of your, your, your thoughts than talking. But another is, how are we pulling community to speak to us? Maybe you are going through something and you just need somebody just to pick up God's word and just read it to you or sing it to you. I work in hospice and one of the things that my patients typically just enjoy or are just found in peace is just when I read scripture to them. Now here are folks who battle with dementia and Alzheimer's. They're just in the last days of their life. And the only thing that they need, because they're, the, they're walking in the shadow of death, is just for me to sing to them and just read to them. Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we just need to pick up the phone and say, you know what, I'm just really having a hard time this week. I just, I just need you to remind me scripture. I just need you to remind me of God who made heaven and earth. I need you to just encourage me with a song. You know, that's why I think these bulletins are not just to kind of be left in your, in your seats, just practically. These are great stuff to take with you to work. I mean, these are so- songs not just to be sung on Sundays. These are songs to be sung each and every day because we need the help. So just on a practical level, I mean, you know, you know Pastor Andy just doesn't do this just for your health. I mean, this is for his own soul and our soul. I mean, this is one way for us and even for my kids just for us to just sing together and hear together. So please take your bulletins on just a practical note. These are just excellent resources to even put in your pocket as you go throughout the day and just 
man, look at the you know the songs that we sung, or even Romans five that we that we um, read together. So there are just numerous ways to remind ourselves of the Lord keeping us. And so, brothers and sisters, I pray that we would drink deeply and find Him satisfying. Will you pray with me, Father? Thank you that you are here with us, and God, I just ask that. Even as we take the Lord's Supper, um, it's just a reminder for us tangibly that that Jesus, you you, for, you forgive us, and you are the God that that loves us, the God that that lived and walked this psalm. And so, Lord, help us now, Lord, to to apply this. Oh God, please use this. Um, service and use the message, Lord God, to encourage us and to propel us, Lord God, to be faithful as we experience your faithfulness in our lives. We love you, Jesus, because you first loved us. In your name we pray. Amen.